What's up, everybody? It's Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. What's happening, man? Man, what's going on, man? Surviving the Norrister, the 2022 blizzard that is. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you get yeah, Philly, Philly got it, but you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I'm I'm used to snow and all of that. I'm not really afraid to drive in it or walk around in it. So it wasn't so bad, but uh yeah, definitely heard the uh the the sound of shovels all morning. What about you? Word, I got about a foot, man. I had the snow blower out going, you know. Uh got the sidewalk cleared. So yeah, all good, man. Like a Damn. like like a snowstorm here and there. Yeah, everybody wants to be friends with the guy who's got the snowblower. So are yeah, you, right? uh, you're, you're a popular guy on the block, I bet. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a lot where I am, man. We get we get a ton of snow up here, so everybody is has got their own, you know. So let me ask you, when when the weather like this happens, do you have like a go-to artist, soundtrack, song? Like what's your I mean, we're both wearing hoodies. What's your what's your frigid weather wrap? Well, yesterday I had a drive back, uh, I had about a two hour drive back, which turned into three and a half hours with the snow. It was crazy. But I listened to this playlist on Spotify. Uh, it was all of J. Cole's features, every single one he's ever done in chronological order. Um, mm-hmm. And it was inspired by one of the best moments that I've experienced in hip hop in the past year. And I don't mean calendar year because that's easy with January. I mean, the past 12 months was on Friday. Uh, Benny the Butcher dropped his first single, Johnny P's Caddy. Uh, first single from Tana Talk 4, which is coming out. It's going to be his first Def Jam album? No, this one's still independent through okay. Griselda and Empire. But yeah, I mean, continue though. Can't wait. I can't wait. And dude, if this is any indication of what to expect from this project, it sounds like it's going to be a contender, a strong contender for album of the year. But that song, him and J. Cole just go absolutely berserk and you had sent it to me uh you know at midnight or so i didn't i missed that and you know i was, I was doing my workout opened up the the ipad on youtube and i saw the video and i hit press play immediately and dude it was instant add to the playlist i ran it back like two or three times i called you as excited as i've been about a song and as long as i can remember because you know we do this and we love it, of course, uh, but it's our work. But, you know, there are times where you step back and just fan out. And I had a straight fan out moment. I can't remember being this excited about a song in a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, there was a ton of great music in 2021. And I'm really proud of the list that we put together, the best albums and the posts throughout the year of exciting songs. But this one's different. I mean, this is one of those songs. If you are a fan of lyricism, of competition, of you know chippy bar you over the head rap on a dope beat i mean the joint is produced by alchemist this is top shelf this is you know this is that louis cognac this is you know this is high grade hip-hop and this is two mcs who uh i think believe themselves to be at the top of their craft Mm -hmm. and I think both of them took this like this is going to be a heavyweight match and this is friendly but this is competitive and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take you to the, to the mat on this. Like, I think they both went at each other in a way that was absolutely insane, obviously respectful. But like, I don't think either one of them was playing. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and we'll get to that. I think 100 percent that is true. What's interesting to me is, you know, um, three years ago this month, you know, Revenge of the Dreamers 3 has this public kind of invitation where Cole 
um, and the rest of Dreamville invited the best of the best. And a lot of them were, you know, the, the, the new class of MCs that you and I spoke about in the last episode, but also there was, you know, Ludacris, Crit, um, TI, and, you know, towards a week or so into those sessions, we learned that Griselda was part of it. And obviously when Revenge of the Dreamers 3 came out, Griselda isn't on it. You know, Conway and JID have put out some joints. Um, we've started to get, you know, some spillover on that. But this, when I saw Benny was there at the top of 2019, knowing the kind of year he had with Tanatok 3 and 18, I was super excited. And this was worth the wait. Um, huge song. And I also think, you know, yes, they are competing. And we will talk about that. But there's an alliance here. These are two guys that have been snubbed by the Grammys and by a lot of uh, mainstream, I think. And these are two guys who are getting their comeuppance. And certainly, you know, in the next few weeks, months, we will see if J. Cole gets rap album of the year at the Grammys. I thought Benny was snubbed. You and I did a whole episode talking about that, you know, when it came to Burden of Proof, which was eligible for the upcoming awards because it dropped in late 2020. Um, these guys are coming out swinging with a message to prove. Word. And man, oh man, did they. So let's start with the title, Johnny P's Caddy. Uh, what, what's the meaning behind that? Well, when I first saw it, you know, I mean, Griselda has this way of, of you know, flashing back to artists they look up to, you know, Ghostface 93, uh, different things like that. At first, I was like, you know, is this a reference to Do, uh, Do or Die, you know, the Chicago group on Rap-A-Lot? who had an affiliate, Johnny P, who passed away. Come to find out in the cover work, cover art, you know, takes us there. It's a reference to Benny's father who appears and it's Benny and his dad side by side across from like a, like an 83 Cadillac, looks like a Seville with custom headlights. And in the press release from our friend, Matt, you know, we learned that back in the day, Johnny P, you know, Benny's father would pick him up and Wes, uh, West Side Gun, and they would drive around Buffalo listening to that you know, the new, the new ish, you know, Nas, Jay, Mob Deep, Woo, you can only imagine. So it's going back to where that passion was formed with hip hop. And you never hear the title in the chorus. I don't even think the lyrics are ever said. Um, but man, oh man, does it capture that vibe. And it's a soulful beat. I didn't know until you told me that it was Alchemist, but it's just crafted so well. And the beat, both of them ride the beat so well, their flows are impeccable. And you know, I think that's part of what makes it so good. Just like every breath, every like pause is just perfectly on beat, man. So um, it got me thinking. So J. Cole has been on this run for, I'd say, three years now. Obviously, he's been doing features since like, you know, 2010, 2011, whatever it was. But uh, I think around 2018, he went on a mission to like, proved that he was the greatest MC and he took on he he took on features with all the best lyricists it didn't matter if they were commercially um popular he just took on lyricists so like Royce and uh Rhapsody and you mentioned Crit um and I think he just tried to outbar every single person he did a record with uh in this tour to kind of prove that he was the greatest and um true to form on this, I almost it almost struck me as like an LL cannabis kind of thing where uh, he literally went straight at the dude that he was um, he was rapping with respectfully, you know, but basically just declaring that, like, you know, he gets on your record 
and he's going to be the Grim Reaper. He's going to take out your best, your favorite rapper with his feature. Like, it, you know, it was competitive in a way that I haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, and it makes you wonder. I don't think he would have done it if there wasn't the highest of respect for Benny. And not for nothing, you know, um, I was talking with quite a few people about this song. I played it over 20 times since it released. And, you know, I think that Cole, Benny, and Alchemist all brought their A game. And I totally agree with you. This is not what you think of when it comes to an Alchemist beat. But I think what he's also saying is, I only rap with the best. And if you you kind of wake the giant, and there's another word he used that we're going to talk about in a second, but, like, you better be prepared for what I do to this record. And to me, this is super high-level, you know, this is like control. You know, this is a giant, giant record. Yeah, uh, I want to just read some of the lyrics just so people hear. So he said, effortless how I'm skating on his records is proof. I'll put your favorite rapper neck in a noose, never letting them loose. And then he says, um, uh, you know, person want me on a song, he's going to see the wrath of the reaper. I'm probably going to go to hell if Jesus asked for a feature. That was, to me, like one of the coldest lines since Nas's Live on the Barbecue. Uh, you know, he said he's going to snuff Jesus. But, like, he said, if if Jesus want me on a, if Jesus asked, I'm probably going to hell if Jesus asked for a feature. He's going to even kill Jesus on the record is what Cole is saying, dude. Like, that is one of the craziest lines I've ever heard. Um, and that's just, like, just a few bars from from just a magnificent verse. So, First of Grim all, Reaper though. That's yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So, so who who had the better verse on this? First of all, I'm gonna give it to Cole, but I'm not gonna say. You know, we all we all have that famous line. You know, Nas murdered you on your own ish, um, or you know, M murdered you on your own ish that Nas said about about Jay. This is not this is not murder, but I'm gonna give it to Cole. What about you? I give it to Cole. I give it to Cole, and it made me wonder. Is J. Cole the best feature artist in the game right now? Is he undefeated? You know, because he's had so many classic appearances that, you know, I think that to consider him as an MC, you have to bring in the body of work that he's done on these features. And when you do so, I think that's what puts him in the running for GOAT. Like, uh, you know, and listening to all these features, I was like, damn, like people have really slept on this dude. His, he's so versatile. He's so honest. Uh, his pen game is so flawless. You know, I, I just don't think he gets the the proper respect. So I want us to do a deep dive into his features over the years. And one, figure out if he's undefeated, because I think in the last three years, at least, he might be undefeated. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, in listening to that playlist, uh, I think it's like over 40 songs, 48 songs or something like that. Um, there was only one person that I think might've gotten him. And uh, I'm going to save that for a minute. Uh, but uh, I'm curious, I'm curious as, as to what you think, but so let's, let's, let's set the parameters. First of all, we're only talking features. So records that are not his, um, I think we should focus on that, that, that time from 2018 on, because I think that's when he became very strategic about who he did features with and how he approached those features. Uh, I think we should exclude the ones that are Dreamville related because he's not trying to kill his guys, right? He's just on there trying to support uh, and bring shine. I don't think there's the same level of competitiveness that it is on the, on these other ones. So um, how do you, how do you feel about that as parameters? 
Yeah, I, I think that's a fair place to work. Um, and when you say undefeated, you mean besting the host MC. Yeah, he got them on their own verse. He got them on their own verse. That's that's what I mean by undefeated. Okay. Um. All right. So let's get into it. I'm I'm gonna pull up this playlist. Um. Uh. And shout out to whoever did this. Um. You know, I say Spotify is a great resource in that, you know, if you just type in pretty much anything you want, like, you know, uh, playlists from the seventies or, you know, Cadillac music or whatever it is, there's a playlist for it. So when I just typed in J Cole features, um, this showed up and let me see how many songs is it? Uh, um, I can't remember, but I'm gonna start in 2018. There's a period in 2018 where he did, uh, Bob boat first and that was the Royce of five nine joint uh you remember it's you want to break down the the concept behind that song yeah I mean that was a really interesting one I mean Royce set the song up as this amusement park outside of Detroit where you know he basically lost his virginity and it's a place where he would go um, where a lot of people of his generation would go to escape their their normal surroundings but also kind of it's kind of an ominous record too because Royce even if I'm not mistaken talks about like kind of learning to drink there and there was this one boat where you know two people might go off and be alone and and perhaps make moves which sounds hyper specific to the point where you're like oh this other artist you know from 10 years after Royce that grew up in North Carolina how does he make sense in the song and Cole killed it and 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 much like Benny I don't think anyone saw that feature coming I mean Royce you know has worked with the best of the best but at that time you know it for an independent album Cole seemed like a hard get and that song was one of the best joints um on that on that album which was what Book of Ryan yeah and and so it was a coming of age story right uh you know Royce used the Bobolo boat as a a metaphor for telling his coming coming of age story. And you touched on you know the sexuality part. Um, he talked he talks about like substance abuse. He talks about his relationship with his father. He talks about a lot of things that are deeply personal in an incredibly artful way. And then Cole comes on, has the hook, starts singing, and then um, it almost I think he produced the beat too. And then um, he does a coming of age story of his own too and they're competitive too you can tell that each one of them understands the stakes at it but instead of doing rapid rap they compete through the concept and and who can tell his story uh more artfully and be more uh more vulnerable and honest like so i think that cole got royce on that one and royce as we all know is a top shelf mc like, uh, I don't think there's many pen games out there as lethal as Royce's, but I, I, I'd say that Cole got him on that one. Um, wh- what do you think about that? It's really close, that one to me. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to disagree with you and I'm not playing it safe either. But, you know, Royce, Royce I think doesn't Royce even have two verses on that to Cole's one. It's, it's hard to say, but Cole certainly hangs in there at the highest of levels. OK, so after that. He does uh, a feature on J-Rock uh, for OSOM, Out of Sight, Out of Mind. And um, that's another kind of coming-of-age story. Like, you know, J-Rock uh, calls himself Johnny McKenzie, goes by the Govey. 
um, and really tells a story of, you know, kind of growing up and around gang life and, and what, what that was like. And uh, Cole wasn't a part of that life, but definitely, you know, was a, an observer of a lot of things. So he talks about like um, his experience with that. That is one where I think, you know, I listened to that one, um, that one, J-Rock did have two verses. And I, I think that the combination of both verses gave him the edge there. Uh, but Cole, um, you know, once again, I think was, I think was, uh, was almost uh, outshining rock on his own record. But what, what do you think about that one? I don't disagree with anything you just said. And again, I mean, you, you, you alluded to it, but it's another place where Cole picks a record that he almost doesn't make sense on, you know, and he finds a way to extract the essence of the song and fit in on it. You know, so often artists think, Oh, you got, you know, you got this song that people knee jerk association with me. And Cole almost makes it hard for himself when he jumps on other people's records and still shines. So next up was Sojourner with Rhapsody. Um, where he absolutely went berserk. Uh, you want to break that one down? Man, that one was insane because Rhapsody, you know, this was in between a Grammy nomination run and an album um, that, you know, you and I both feel was also snubbed at the Grammys, you know, with Eve. And I think if I'm not mistaken, that was the first look. Well, this we one was, from- uh, it was, um, uh, I think the, the Jamla, um, it was a Jamla compilation. We got it there first, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, And then yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. reappeared on Eve, and you're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. And on this one, I mean, it was so insane because I think you would be hard-pressed to find two bigger Rhapsody fans in the industry than you and I that truly listen to her music, at, you know, and we mentioned her in the last episode. And Cole came in and just hit that at a 1,000 miles an hour. And, you know, he he just flexes on the record. And it was truly, truly, truly incredible. And that one, I mean, you know, there's a there's a number of elements there of like, you know, two of the best from North Carolina, you know, obviously Ninth Wonder had worked with um, Cole Early, you know, on the, in the mixtape era, and he just smashed that. But anything you want to add to that song? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's another one where not only was he artful in his rhyme, and he was truly honest about what was going on in his life. It's very autobiographical. So the first lines are born in a pain alcoholic veins over analytical brain a product of the shame and running from a passage checkered like the game somewhere along the way somebody snatched my peace and main maybe that's the reason i spent decades seeking fame Hmm. and fortune hoping that a proper portion would contain the sadness in my eyes remember when i came in this music business all their questions was insane why you never smile on your pictures i refrain and now, you know, we, when, you, when you start to connect the dots with Crooked Smile and, you know, um, him having like the gap in his teeth and being ashamed about that, you, you just hear like how this dude is just, you know, it's almost like a journal. He's opening up his life and telling it to you in rhyme. And to me, being able to do that, um, you know, is courageous. But to do it with, in a rhyme like that is absolutely insane. I, I think he... Uh, that to me was one of the verses of the year. And I, I think you got Rhapsody, who's one of the coldest in the game too, um, on her own verse. Like rap has had people when they rap with Rhapsody, they know that they're gonna get embarrassed unless they bring their own game, their own their A game. And so she gets the best verse out of pretty much everyone that she raps with. You saw that with Kendrick on Power, where he blacked out. Um Jay Electronica. Jay Electron- yeah. So I think she, it's this happened again where where Cole 
uh, you know, brought his A game. But who do you think got that one? I think it was cool. I think it was that one one time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So he may be three for three on that. Um, another one that I thought was super interesting was Money Bag Yo. Um, so Money Bag Yo, people might recall was on the DMX album too. Uh, have you? Are you a fan? Have, do you listen to his music very much? Well, you don't even remember, but this particular song, you and I went back and forth over whether or not we were going to cover the site. And this was back in, I think you're saying 2018. And Money Bag Yo was a name that had never hit Ambrosia for heads. And, you know, I think Moneybag Yo is one of the better rappers out of Tennessee. I think he has an impeccable ear for beats. But in theory, Moneybag Yo and J. Cole is not something that you're going to hear in your mind. And when that song popped up, I was astounded. And the name of the song is Say Nah. Yeah. So uh, so you, what do you recall about Cole's appearance on that? Um. You know, Moneybag Yo is not a lyrical, spiritual, miracle rapper by any estimation. And Cole Wait, comes can in you and- say that again? <laughs> <laughs> I said, Moneybag Yo is not a lyrical, spiritual, miracle rapper. <laughs> is that off the dome? Like, you freestyle that? Like, You know what? I got that, I think, from our good friend Jonathan Master years ago, and I've always run with it. It's such okay. a great... Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> um, sorry. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I mean, because he's a... I mean, for lack of a better... I, you know, like a trap gangster rapper from, from Tennessee, you know, and Cole comes in and finds the pocket of the beat right away. It's a different type of beat. And he sprinkles game in there. I don't have bars off of memory. I listened to the song yesterday and I listened to it again this morning because I wanted to find a place where J Cole didn't, you know, didn't best the host for sure. And he damn sure did it against yo. And this was an interesting one because to your point, we had never had Moneybag Yo on the site. He's not the type of artist that I think our readers would gravitate toward. Um, not a super lyrical dude, like you said. Um, Southern um, slang. But Cole intentionally got on this record because I think that he, in his tour, where he's demonstrating that he is the greatest MC, I think he was very strategic. He wanted to work with all the artists who were top of their kind of subgenre and expose himself to uh, to their audience, <laughs> to their audience, to let them know, um, you know, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. It doesn't matter what kind of music you like. I'm, I'm going to always best your rapper, like, and, and whatever his flow is, I'm going to take it and be better. That reminds me so much. And I, you know, J. Cole and Jay-Z have this big brother relationship, at least early in Cole's career. And, and Jay did that. You know, when Jay stepped away after the Black album, remember, he reappears and he does immediately does joints with Rick Ross, does joints with Jeezy. Um, you know, years later, whether Fat Joe, um, Pusha, Jay finds a movement and, and, and stamps that passport. And I think J. Cole did it in the same way, but did it at a time when hip hop was even more diversified. So along those lines, he then goes to 21 Savage, um, a song called A Lot, which I think was another one of our contenders for song of the year that year. Um, incredibly soulful beat. The first of now two collaborations they have that are both great. Um, you know, he did My Life on the uh, off season album with him um 21 savage another dude who you don't think of as being super lyrical but when he wants to rap he can rap and i think this is one of his better performances too 
but Cole just absolutely went berserk. And I want to read some, some of the lyrics from this too. Um, he starts off attacking dudes, like just straight aggressive mode. He says, how many fake in this question, how many fake in their streams getting their play plays from machines? Like he's talking about, uh, you know, the manipulation of Spotify and other playlists, you know, going straight at the industry. He said, I can see behind the smoke and mirrors dudes ain't really as big as they seem. So you're like, who's he going at? Is he going to Drake? Who's who's he going at with this? Like, um, and then he says, I, I never say anything. Everybody got their thing. Some make millions, others make memes. Like, we know who makes memes, right? Like, uh, that's that's one of Drake's staples is when he's going to attack you, he's going to use everything, bars, but also memes. So do you think, you think he's going to Drake on this? I think at the time he was going at 6'9". That was what we deduced, but he sure chooses a murky way and it's one of those, we'll take it how you feel, you know, shout out to Royce and Mickey Facts, where if you're Drake and you're listening, you could be like, damn, this is about me. Okay. Yeah. And he said, I'm on a money routine. I don't want smoke. I want cream. I don't want no more comparisons. This is a marathon and I'm aware. I've been playing it back from a lack of promotion. I was never one for the bragging and boasting. I guess I was hoping the music would speak for itself, but the people want everything else. So, you know, he, he's also very mindful, and this is a constant theme in his music about him not getting the respect that he thinks his peers get, you know, the Kendricks, the, the Drakes. So, again, he's putting, and, and then he says, um, okay, no problem. I'll show up on everyone album. You know what the outcome will be. I'm batting a thousand. So yeah. he's saying right now, he's, he's validating exactly what we've been talking about, that he is doing this intentionally. He's going on every rapper who thinks he's nice or, or who's um, or whose uh, fan base thinks they're the best. And he's showing them that he is going to take their record and 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 destroy them on their own record. It's, it's crazy. Like so uh, he says he's batting a thousand. You agree? Yeah, I think he's absolutely batting a thousand. And, and what's more is cool. And I've never seen another artist do this. You know, his albums are so thematic, so substantial that he uses these features almost to give himself like a second sport. You know, he's like primetime where he can just, you know, put substance in there, but be super, you know, pop his collar in a way that never compromises his albums, where he can be, you know, this just supreme MC via a canon of features, which is incredible, you know. Yeah, he says I got to the it's got to the point that these rappers don't even like rapping with me. Again, he's saying this on another dude's record. Like the level of disrespect is is so like beautiful. You know what I mean? Because uh, it's respect and disrespect at the same time. Uh, I guess present company excluded when you know when he's rapping these bars, but it's clear that he's he's also competing. Yeah, and I like the way you said that present company excluded because it's almost like cool puts his arm around somebody's shoulder like, yo, we're good. But just to let you know, this is why the rest of you, nah. Like, and that's such a cool power play too. Yeah. And so, you know, a couple others that, that he did, he did the London, uh, which was Young Thug and Travis Scott, which is a dope record. I had completely forgotten about that record. Mm -hmm. But next up is Prove It with Big Crit. Um, so you want to talk about that one a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that one, I remember at the time us covering, I mean, Crit and Cole had run in, in the same circles. They're part of the same class. And, you know, isn't that record, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's, about, it's about follow through on your passion, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, Cole comes and kind of just just dazzles. Again, you might have the bars in front of you or, or, or remember a little bit more than I do of that one. Yeah, yeah, I just pulled it up. And um, again, he's flexing his credentials on, on Crit's record. He says, um, he says, I wrote more songs than a man can count. I'm trying to figure out how, how to put them out without watering down my brand. I don't want them to not want my jams. Don't want them to become something that nobody want to hear. So he's talking now about his struggle with, um, you know, putting out his his records and being concerned um, that that they're not going to be good enough. You know, so again, he's being vulnerable about himself. He could, it's it's interesting how he alternates between being supremely confident, I'm the nicest dude, I'm going to destroy you on your own record, to uh, talking about, huh, I got insecurities, my my teeth uh my 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 output you know um I, I think it's really interesting that he's able to do both of these things and when you start to think about some of the greatest out there the pox uh the kendricks the andre 3000s they all kind of share that trait so the crazy thing is he's talking about his output and whether or not he should put out songs and insecurities he has around that but he builds into telling a story about how um you know it, his music ultimately he should put it out because it might help someone. And he tells a story about this super fan who used to come to all his concerts. And uh, eventually he learned that, um, that she was touched by one of his sons and he had helped her. And so he goes into telling a story about like the relationship they kind of built over time. He'd see her uh, at first. He thought it was strange, but then he started to get used to it and understood she was a big fan. And he just recently saw something on her social media that she posted about something that terrible that happened to her. And he gives her condolences in the middle of this verse and gives her a shout out. Like, so he uses this guest verse to talk about his own insecurities, translate that into how being vulnerable helps people and then telling a specific story and doing a shout out. It's like one of the craziest things I've heard in a verse to like, you know, uh, for a dude to like reach out to a fan that way is, is insane. But Again, being strategic, it's not just about the bars. It's not always just about, you know, thumping his chest and, and talking about how great he is. It's about how he uses these to advance his narrative as an MC. you know? Yeah, 100%. And also, you know, staying on topic with whatever the host MC has and uplifting the song. I mean, you know, that absolutely is 100% it. And he's done that not just for new artists, but he did that as well, you know, for OGs. I think of the Gangstar feature in 2019 where, you know, DJ Premier had to take vocals that Guru had recorded. And I, you know, I can say this as, as a huge Gangstar fan, there was skepticism there. And on the very first single, Family and Loyalty, J. Cole comes in and gives not just the song, but the video his all and lets people know that this album is going to be on pedigree with the Gangstar brand. That's a really generous MC who at the same time is a top competitor. Yeah. And of course, uh, you know, out of respect, he's not going to try and like, uh, you know, talk about how great he is on a, on a record with Guru. Uh, but he used it to really celebrate Gangstar. And, you know, he did it justice. He, he showcased his, his talent in a way that uh, elevated the record, but didn't try to outshine Guru. So I thought that was really tastefully done. So, uh, you know, now we're, we come up to, and we skipped over a few, but, you know, uh, of the notable ones, we're now on Johnny P's Caddy, 
with Benny. Um, so you want to talk about Benny's verse first, and and I and I'll, I'll pull some quotes from from what Cole said. Yeah, of course. I mean, Benny comes at this, you know, with such vigor. And I'll, I'll read my favorite section that he says. He says, they want to know what I brought to Griselda. I say validity. They asking what work y'all brothers put in. I'm like, what didn't we? Problem that I cor- problems that I correct, though the obstacles through the obstacles I progress, illogical for them to feel responsible for our success. Besides Con and Wes, tell me who else I gotta respect. Cause I'm kind of perplexed. It's about time that I got my respect. So I know I stumbled a little bit there, but those are compound rhymes. Um that are filled with message. I mean, he's saying like, look, my story, when you talk about Griselda as these D-boys, you know, out of Buffalo that were doing this or doing that, I'm the proof because Benny's a three-time felon, which isn't to be celebrated. And I don't think he goes around leading with that, but he spent a lot of his years paying for that validity. Um, he's also saying, you know, who do I have to respect in the game? Because for me, it's this movement that I'm part of. So when you talk about competition in the song, you know, obviously, you know, he extended a spot for Cole to be on this record, but he's saying my team right here, we're the best. And I a hundred percent think the last bar that excerpt, um, you know, cause I'm kind of perplexed about time that I got my respect is 1000% aimed at the mainstream, the Grammy nominating parties, et cetera, of like, no, it's my time. And, and what better way, to say so than with this single. Absolutely. And so Cole then follows up and I'll read some of his lines. He says, um, effortless how I'm skating on these records is proof. I put your favorite rapper's neck in a noose, never letting them loose. Cole World, the heart will blast you through your speaker. He the last of the Mohicans, no weaklings in my sneakers. Um, brothers want me on a song. He's going to see the wrath of the reaper. And I, and I said this already, I'm probably going to hell if I, Jesus asked for a feature. Uh, I mean, wow. Uh, and he says, go, he goes on to say, Eureka Einstein on the brink of the theory of relativity. Really? No MC equal. Feel me? Like, I mean, wow. Cold pen be lethal. Crib like an old MTV show. On God, the best rapper alive. Headshot, no. Now go ask the best rappers to die. They tell you he never lied. Like, I mean, wow. This dude, like, okay, he's the best ever. He's the best alive. And then, blow. Like, uh, you know, uh, headshot. If you take him out, he's going to be the best rapper, period. Like, uh, just, I mean, the bars are just crazy. Absolutely crazy. It's wild, too, because you and I spent much of a podcast episode last year talking about his modesty and humility on the uh, Heavens EP, where he kind of asserted himself as one of the greats, but really gives it up to Kendrick and Drake. (laughs) And there is no modesty to this joint. And I love it because that's going to make for a really exciting year when I anticipate both of those guys, at least Kendrick, are going to be dropping. So do you think this is his best feature out of all the great work he's done? You think this is the best one? so far it might be a hot take but i do i really do this is the one um and 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 what makes it you know because it can't just be a feature in a vacuum right i mean there have been times and we'll talk about some of them in history where you had an elite mc on a song that surprises you where maybe the bars aren't held up on the other end but this is this is my favorite J. Cole collaboration of this kind you know and as much as i love bob Boat, as much as i love sojourner 
this is this is the new one for me. You know, it's hard, man, because he's got a few of the like chest beaten uh, versus the one on a lot. This, um, you know, I, I'd say between those two, this probably takes it. But the concepts that he he does on Prove It and Sojourner, uh, I think it's hard to it's 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 almost like apples and oranges. They're both fruit, but it's hard to like to to compare and and, and choose one or the other. But I, it's definitely top three for him but again um you know it makes me think is he the best feature rapper who are some of the, the other feature reapers that we've seen in, in the past you know for me uh i think kendrick is one he's one of those dudes who's gonna get on your record and really try and 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 take you just hove. ask for john yeah <laughs> hove too like and, and hove i think we saw it, uh him and his most aggressive on kendrick's record because mm-hmm. I think even back then, uh, it's like 2013 or so, uh, Don't Kill My Vibe, I think he knew what Kendrick represented. And he said, he said, smoking this shit like I'm trying to prove a point. I'm the highest, uh, you know. Um, he he went um, he went on it. He went in as hard as I've heard him do it. But Ho was done that on, He did it on, on drug, drug Dealers Anonymous with Pusha T. Like, I mean, he go when he goes, he goes. Um Black Thought is another one, but so who who are some of the other ones that 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 you think think are feature reapers? I mean, the knee jerk answer is you know Andre three thousand, which you know he did from the onset with Goody Mob, but there was that run, that two thousand six two thousand seven run where you know he he did it with like DJ Unk, and that's a case where you take a you take Walk It Out, and Andre is one of my favorite verses, um, and that's a case where Unk isn't going to give you the same energy that Benny gave Cole but it's a catchy joint, you know, obviously him and big boy, but, but three stacks stole the show on international players anthem. Um, he's absolutely one. I think you could absolutely make the case for both Biggie and Tupac. I mean, Biggie on the Craig Mack record from rip. And there were other joints from like Pudgy and Tracy Lee in the nineties. I mean, big only had those three or four years, but what he did is he could make a record and take it out of the water Tupac did it too in a different way. I mean, Tupac was was hopping on records by like Spice One and MC Breed and E40 above the law and just making them crazy. I mean, he would hit it with so much energy and emphasis, but absolutely, you cannot tell me that J. Cole is not in this elite class. And, and I think you make a great point. Um, Grim Reaper of features, even that list that we just said, I don't know that anyone has the volume and consistency of Jermaine Cole in this time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, AZ did it obviously like his, um, his, his coming out party to, to folks. A lot of folks was uh life's a bitch with Nas and uh, that verse. I thought he got Nas on that. Eminem has done it, but yeah, your point is consistency and length of time and body of work. Dude, I don't know. I don't know who's done it, you know, done it more. I, I think Andre, I think Andre is probably uh, right there, too. You know, uh, there's another uh, if you if you uh, search uh, Andre 3000 features, it's like 16 or so songs and every single one he just absolutely destroys. It's like he does one or two a year. And we saw it last year with Life of the Party. Uh, I think we both thought that was verse of the year. Um, so I th- it's hard for me to say that Cole can outdo Andre, but, but I think it's close. It's interesting though, because I mean, you know, you, you really put me on the game years ago of the value of nostalgia and the value of scarcity in hip hop and Andre, you know, 
hasn't put out an album, you know, in over 15 years. So whenever he speaks, there's always going to be that silence and attention. And the difference for me is, and, and I, you know, I consider Andre, you know, easily in my top 10 all time, possibly my top five. The difference with Cole is he's done this at the exact same time that he's put out, you know, since 2018, two albums plus, you know, a compilation that he was very much involved with, plus a series of Lucy's plus some packs like that's crazy to me to be able to do that and not lose a step. And it's interesting though, one other just frame of context, you know, early in J. Cole's career, when I was still as a listener trying to figure him out, he hops on a song with Reflection Eternal, which you could argue is a Black Star record because it's Talib Kweli and most Def with J. Electronica called Just Begun. And that was at a time when J. Electronica is in the midst of the exhibits, you know, A and C, and Cole hangs in there as a rookie. I mean, he had put out mixtapes before that, but J. Cole, you know, stood toe-to-toe with all of those guys. And that let me know when he was still in his early 20s, you know, mid-20s, that this guy was going to be something special when it came to these guest appearances. Yeah, so... I told you that I think there was only one time where somebody got him. Um, And like I said, J-Rock might be in there. But the one where I thought that somebody was like outbarred Cole uh, when Cole was on a freestyle, was was on a a feature, was, um, you you got any guesses? Uh, Shout out to Maryland. To uh, to, uh, Logic? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Africarian. Uh, Logic went berserk on that song. Uh, absolutely berserk. I, I almost don't count that as a feature, you know, to a lot for a lot of folks. We were one of the first to break the story that J. Cole had a hidden track on uh, Logic's album, Everybody, after his song Africarians, the final song on the album. There's a, um, a few seconds break, and then you start to hear J. Cole, and he's just rapping into his phone. Uh, Logic had wanted him for a verse. And Cole just did something on his phone, sent it to him for a reference, and, and Logic was like, yo, this is dope. I'm, can I just use this? And um, the song is about Logic talking about uh, the conflict he's had being um, a biracial person, you know, um, you know, not being accepted fully on either side of the family and just kind of going through that journey. And Cole responds to him as a, a, a biracial person himself. And gives him game about like, you know, just loving himself for who he is. And uh, it's really an incredible verse. But that's not the one. Um, for me, it's Drake on Jodeci Freestyle. If, if you listen to Drake's bars on that, he goes completely off. Uh, and, you know, um, I think that he got Cole on that one. Uh, Cole was great. But Drake, Drake's verses were just absolutely crazy on that one. But you, you recall that, that, that song? Yeah, I do. I do. And I I don't disagree with what you said Uh, to me, you know, and I know I didn't, I still think Royce might be the one place and that's a different kind of song than Johnny P's caddy. Um, But that's the one where it might, you know, be really close to call, but even in that list, and there's just, there's just one other that I do want to shout out that you put me onto that was recently, it was last year was the stress joint by young thug. Yeah. Um, And, you know, that might have been, as much as Heaven's EP was dope, I think that that was as good as most of the verses on Cole's album. I mean, he really splashed that Young Thug joint 
with an incredible verse about, yeah. again, just like his day-to-day circumstances. He took over the song. It's, it's basically his song. It's on the AFH playlist uh, for people who uh, want to check that out. But, you know, I, I guess I'll say to close this, that um, we talked a lot about what made his feature special. And it's beyond just the, the chest thumping. It's also the truth that he speaks in his lyrics. And it's an interesting segue into uh, our next topic is that truth and lyrics uh, is great artistically. And we, 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 we like the vulnerability. But recently, uh, it's been... Uh, causing some real legal problems for artists so you want to break that down yeah i mean you have a lot to say on the subject but you know jay-z meek mill some of the other artists affiliated with rock nation are trying to make it inadmissible if that is the correct term that rap lyrics can be used in trials and this is happening at a time when you know throughout the years um we've seen prosecutors use when an artist gets in trouble for something that I deem is unrelated, they will often use their lyrics to try to accuse them um, of ill character, you know? Um, and I think that it's happening at a critical time. And we've, over the years, I just was reading about a case, um, Snoop Dogg, you know, they're making the murder was the case miniseries now, him, Snoop and 50 Cent. And back in 96, when Snoop had Johnny Cochran as part of his legal team, they went into that song, which is really, um, you know, Goethe, Mephistopheles, like making a deal with the devil. And they tried to accuse him of, of, of speaking about a murder and using it for his own promotion, um, which obviously he was eventually acquitted and Snoop has changed his life, you know, tremendously. But we've seen it time and time again where it can mean life or death for these artists. But I know this is an issue that's incredibly personal to you. Can you shed some additional light? Yeah, man, it's an interesting topic. Um, for my law school thesis, I wrote um, a paper that was two parts. Um, it was about First Amendment protection for rap lyrics. You know, at the time in the 80s, there were a lot of uh, heavy metal cases. You know, Ozzy Osbourne and Judas Priest had lyrics that um, encouraged suicide. Ozzy Osbourne had a song called Suicide Solution. And uh, some kids were, were, had killed themselves and were fans of those artists. And the parents sued the artists and the record labels saying that the lyrics are what uh, influenced their, their children into killing themselves. And so there were trials and it was decided that, rap lyric, that, uh, that song lyrics were First Amendment protected against lawsuits, against civil liability. And so those those artists could not be sued because they had First Amendment protection because it was free speech. It was art. Um, And so fast forward to the 90s, there is a a state trooper who was I think his name was Bill Davidson, um, who was killed uh, by by a man uh, who had been listening to Tupac lyrics. I forget the song, but um, it was in Texas, right? Yeah, it was in Texas. uh, uh, And um, the lyrics were about um, a, a person killing a cop. Soldier story, right? Soldier story? story, soldier story, yep, yep. And the guy was actually listening to it when he, uh, when he was confronted by a police officer, shot the state trooper, and the state trooper died. So I think his wife's name was Linda Davidson, and she sued Tupac, Interscope, um, and uh, I think uh, Warner Records at the time, claiming that his lyrics influenced uh, this guy and caused him to to kill her husband. 
Now, again, it had already been established in the 80s that music lyrics could not be um, held accountable for this type of thing. And so yeah, I thought it was interesting that they were even making the argument. They were trying, the, the argument at the time was that, was almost that rap lyrics um, deserved a lower level of protection than, than lyrics from other music, which, you know, obviously there's all sorts of racial undertones and, you know, um, implications around that. Ultimately, it was decided that, uh, again, rap lyrics are just like any other lyrics, and so they get the same benefit of First Amendment protection. And so um, the, the lawsuit was dismissed. So fast forward, here we are, the same issue rearing its head. Um, but it's a little bit different, I think, in that in some cases, these guys are actually, it's almost like what 6ix9ine was doing with his own like criminal activity, documenting it on social media, like literally documenting crimes on on social media is crazy to me and you know um you know it speaks to what j cole was saying in that song a little bit um uh, but uh, some artists are actually truly documenting their crimes on on songs um you know it's always been a, a tradition every you know so much of rap is guys talking about you know how many people they shot and like how many drugs they sold and stuff like that but I think we all take it as just, you know, the same thing as if you were watching like a, a film or something like that. It, it's entertainment. It's it's for um, for entertainment value. It's not truth. Uh, but it's an interesting thing because rappers also talk about keeping it real and, you know, um, and being authentic to your music. So where does the line stop and start? You know, so if you are actually talking about your real crimes and providing real details, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe that should be something that can be used against you. Like, I, I don't understand the concept of doing that, you know, but w- what do you think? It's it's crazy. And and I, I wholeheartedly agree with you because there is a movement right now. And I don't think it's a lot of the artists that AFH or traditional hip hop heads necessarily, you know, look into. But it's starting. It's that nucleus is starting to grow. But there's movements out of Chicago, out of Memphis, out of L.A., you know, and, and you mentioned, you know, six, nine out of New York where people are mentioning real things. And that's a huge way for an unknown artist to get hot. Like, you know, I, I do a lot of consulting and, and, and bio work for a number of artists. And there are artists that have told me like, yo, I talked about the ops, like it got me, it got me famous. And whereas that may have been the case with dissing one another, you look at Roxanne Shantae and UTFO and you go through history it's totally different if you're not dissing somebody, but you're saying, you know, I'm the one who did this to your house or did this to you or did this to your man. And I do think hip hop should always do better than that. But you're absolutely right that there's a giant double standard in trying to, you know, do a character profile of somebody based on what they're saying. And that's just not fair because you could do that very easily for 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 punk rock or for metal or, or what have you. And I'm glad that Jay-Z who has been able to, kick open so many doors it's hopefully trying to lock a door that there isn't another you know artist of note that is that is denied like think if think what would happen if tupac you know was taken away from hip-hop in 91 yeah yeah that though was uh him telling a story you know it was clearly fictional um in this case i do wonder though like if, if you had an audio recording of someone and it wasn't a rap a rhyme and there was no music, but they were confessing a crime that would certainly be used, you know, admissible in a court. So 
I don't know, man. This is a tough one. I think I think the line has been blurred with people talking about real specific crimes on, on, on the records. Absolutely. Um, you know, on the subject of real and on, on maybe a more positive thing, I just want to take a minute. Um, I imagine that many people that listen to this podcast or, or check out AFH are just, you know, huge fans of hip hop history and probably have you know, some of the great books in their library. You and I, on our last episode, spoke about Ego Trip's Book of Rap Lists, which has always been, you know, a text in hip-hop that I hold in the highest. And that one, you know, is a book of lists, um, which is, is a phenomenal education for people. When it comes to biographies, I recently read one that I consider to be among the best ever, um, and it's on Jay Dilla. And I want to just give a shout-out to, uh, oh, I got my, my screen, but our man, Dan Charnis, who penned this and it's called Dilla time. And, you know, I'm somebody who, you know, I very much, my career was starting out the same year. The same year I started was the same year that fantastic volume two dropped. There you go. And um, so I wrote about Dilla. I never spoke to him, but I've, I've covered the guys from slum village. I've had friends that were down with Dilla that would say, yo, he was a fan of this that you did or, or whatnot you know, in terms of covering him and his movements, never knew the man. This book absolutely blew my mind. Um, Because what I realize is there are artists in hip hop that we know a lot about, you know, especially from the 90s, especially artists that have passed on. What Dan Charnas has done in telling the life of James DeWitt Yancey is insane. Um, And it really, really, really made me not just appreciate his story more, with the music. And, you know, I would encourage anyone to order it. I've got the hard copy right here. Um, but I wanted to just share a couple of things that really blew my mind. And it's, and I don't want to, you know, these are not huge spoilers. I deliberately chose things that um, I thought were significant that I've never seen talked about elsewhere. I also want to make note, you know, Dan Charnas, who people um, may know from the big payback, you know, another essential text um, you know, has has been around hip hop, journalism, television. Um, he's a he's a lecturer and professor. Done a number of things. He knew Dilla. Um, Dan, you know, worked very closely with Chino XL, um, who was one of those artists that often doesn't get spoken about enough that had used Dilla beats. Um, and he worked with a lot of the folks in 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 James periphery. But what I wanted to share, which was pretty wild. I mean, you're a basketball fan. Did you ever know? that for a time in the early 90s, Dilla was represented by John Sally. No, not at all. That's crazy. That's, that's insane. That's, yeah. It's absolutely crazy to me. I mean, it was obviously at a time, not obviously, but it was at a time when, when you know, John was playing for the Pistons in Detroit um, and he partnered with R.J. Rice, which is a name that fans know from Dilla. Um, R.J. Rice's son is young R.J., who for a time, you know, has been Slum Village's producer, one of the heirs um, of Dilla's role, but his father has put out a lot of Slum Village records, stuff by Elzai, stuff by T3, um, and that relationship goes back to the early 90s, and they spoke a lot about how John Sally really had this vision of becoming a music mogul and provided cash and opportunity, and at one point, Slum Village was shopped to all the labels in New York, but do you remember Pendulum? I, I, yeah, I, I have a vague recollection. I can't remember the artist, but I definitely remember the label. Lords of the Underground was their oh, big word. one. They also yep. put out Boogie Monsters. But John Sally said, yo, look, you know, I'm, I'm in the NBA. I know how to negotiate. 
And I guess there was a number that was offered to Slum Village to sign them. I mean, this is before, you know, Dilla ever does anything with Tribe or with Skills or with Farside. And Sally goes in to negotiate and doesn't secure the deal and Pendulum box. And they ultimately, according to the book, use that same spot for an artist on their label and sign Diggable Planets, hmm. which is just mind blowing to me because, you know, one classic group to another. Um, and that, that, that's, just, that's just one example. There's another of, you know, it really speaks to how much Q-Tip advocated for Dilla. And I never realized how complicated their relationship was. I mean, you know, Q-Tip was somebody who, you know, once he got the Slum Village tape in his hand was astounded with the sound of what Jay was doing with rhythms and time signatures. Um, and when a lot of people in the 90s were trying to get Q-Tip production after what after he had done, you know, One Love and obviously the stuff with Tribe, Tip would say, yo, take a look at my man right here. And that's ultimately, you know, what landed um, Dilla's production on Skills' first album, as well as, you know, the Far Side second. And there's a story in the book that's mind-blowing of, you know, Dilla going to work with the Far Side and Fat Lip, you know, great MC, one-fourth of the group, edits something in the song, like, like not a remix, but changed like a snare. And it turns into a fist fight with Trey Hardison of like, yo, you don't do that. Like, this is our man. And, and anyone that knows the far side knows that like a lot of groups, they've had their own issues, but it literally turns to a fist fight at the studio over not messing with Dilla's sound. Um, so I, I don't say that as, as salaciousness, but these are stories that I've never read about, never, never, um, never seen covered anywhere. And what Dan also does is, you know, Dilla was an imperfect man for as phenomenal as he is um, as a musician. And I don't play a note of music. Um, and the book really breaks down how he took production and music theory and, and really revolutionized it. Dilla hit hip hop with his own rhythm. They also speak about the man we don't know, how he was as a, as a, as a boyfriend, how he was as a father, um, his relationship with his family. There's just so much stuff here and it'll give you so much context and perspective. Um, this book is mind-blowingly good. And if you didn't have a copy, I was going to buy you one, but um, there's definitely some people um, that I share, you know, a love of hip hop with that'll be receiving this as a gift. Cause Dan just, just did the damn thing. Have you, did you start reading it yet? Yeah, I haven't read it yet. Dan is a, a friend um, to me and to AFH, you know, sent me the book I actually met him at South by Southwest one year. Um, it was the year that he had re released uh, the big payback. And I told him, you know, very honestly that it was my favorite book about the music business ever. And one of the, the best books I've ever read period. Um, it is incredible and was used. Some people remember the show VH1 show, the breaks. It was based uh, in part on that book. Um, but I can't wait to read this. I'm sure, you know, just given the subject matter, it's going to be great. Um, Dan as an author is always incredible. So yeah, I can't wait. And, and your reviews just got me even more excited. Well, and, and you know, what's really cool is I love when a book makes you want to listen to the music. So as I've read this book, I would stop and like, just, you know, you pick these artists because I say this as somebody who's not from Detroit. I think so often, you know, the Frank and Danks, the fat cats, the guilty Simpsons, they can sometimes get lumped together just in, in, in a gloss over of, of hip hop. Um, and this book really takes individual songs and individual accomplishments and breaks it down. 
you know, as I was listening to that J. Cole Features playlist yesterday, I was just revisiting the catalog of Fat Cat, especially the stuff Dilla produced. And I was like, damn, you know, he is and was such an incredible MC in the music those guys made together. And that's just one, one example. So yeah, check that out. Um, and on the subject of new music, before even we speak about new records, you made a point about, you know, Tana Talk for, um, you know, already sizing up to be one of the albums of the year. And I believe that I haven't, you know, had a chance to hear anything more than, you know, Johnny P's caddy. But what we do know is that is entirely produced by Derringer and Alchemist, which, you know, once again, is a time of Griselda sticking to their core. Um, the Plugs I Met is an incredible series, but I honestly think Tana Talk is really just as important, if not more. You know, 2018 with the third volume really got things got things in there. So this one, there's no formal release date, but obviously we know it's coming. Um, we got a big announcement this week, uh, Kanye West dropping a sequel to Donda on February 22nd. Um, we know it's executive produced by Future, which Kanye and Future have made joints together over the past, like I won for Future um, and Ye produced Pain for Pusha T's album, which had Future on it. Any initial thoughts after getting that news? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it's cool. Like, I, I like Donda. I respect what it was, but it, it's definitely not um, one of my favorite Kanye albums. It's cool. You know, I've listened to it um, more as, as time has gone on. Uh, I've never been a huge fan of Future, you know. Um, I, I've tried many times. I, I like his features uh, when he's singing more than, than, than rapping. Um, so, you know, the notion of... Yeah, a second version of Donda, which I was, you know, just kind of um, lukewarm on produced by Future doesn't really excite me. But, you know, w- what are your thoughts? Yeah, same page. I-, I read a quote that I thought was interesting. Digital Nas, which is a producer that's part of Ye's current team, told Rolling Stone, these are the directives for the album. If it cannot be played at a funeral, childbirth, graduation, a wedding, it will not be on our record. So, so Kanye is curating around life moments. That excites me, but that could just be a dope soundbite. Much like you, Future has a handful of songs I really like, but um, when people say that he is, you know, the greatest artist of the 2010s, I have a huge disconnect there. And, you know, Future has been a a challenging artist for me as a fan, but we'll see. We will absolutely see. There was um, a couple albums that are starting to take shape that interest me a bit more. Um, Wait, let me, let me, let me, let me uh, just, just before, let's talk about two major ones that are coming out though. Let's talk about uh, the Snoop because you, you uh, wrote that story that like was huge for us, but then also, I'm not sure if you saw, but I just uh, read that um, the word is Kendrick Lamar will be releasing a single either on February 4th or February 11th. Wow. And so that's going to come uh, just like Snoop's project um, right before the, on the heels of the Super Bowl. So halftime performance where they're both going to be featured with Dr. Dre. But that, you know, new mi- music from Kendrick. First of all, if the single is coming, that means the album is probably coming pretty quickly thereafter, because the last time he's released singles, the albums were usually out within two weeks of that, you know, um, and so. That to me is gigantic, uh, but the, the Snoop too, you want to talk about that story? Yeah, absolutely. So Snoop has very cryptically been posting these things on Instagram. And for anyone that follows, I mean, Snoop has like 20 million followers. He has a very active account, a lot of like 
pranks and funny stuff on there, but he's been posting these photos that just say B-O-D-R. Um, and last week he broke down what that means is back on death row. And the same day that Snoop hits the stage with Kendrick, with Eminem, with Mary J. Blige, and of course with Dr. Dre, um, he's going to release this album. And, you know, his campaign for it has included um, some classic photos from the death row era, that Vibe magazine cover of him, you know, with the label chain and the, the black turtleneck was used. Um, and then in the video, he actually goes into uh, kind of a, a cell block, you know, and, and in the yard and he's there with Trey D, maybe some of the other East Siders. But, you know, Snoop has made a lot of thematic albums over the years. Um, you know, the Snoop Lion campaign when he was about peace, Malice in Wonderland. Um, you know, for a long time, he was talking about Doggy Style too. This will be interesting because, you know, this comes on the heels of Snoop telling GQ that, you know, he really felt as though he should have been considered to run death row, you know, in its current state. Um, and I am personally curious if there wasn't a deal after reading that, after, you know, the powers that be seeing conversations like yours and mine on this podcast, where that 100% makes sense for death row, if a deal hasn't been reached. I mean, Snoop, you know, is always his own artist, but that statement is, is really curious to me and I'm predicting something big out of it. And if nothing else, if it's, if it's more thematic of Snoop making music with the dog pound, making music with Trey D, Lady of Rage, going back in that bag, similar to what Raekwon did with the Purple Tape 2, I'm still here for it, but this one feels more deliberate given the Super Bowl attention. So you think it's going to be just more than the album title? You actually think it's, it's, it's literal that he's going to be back affiliated with death row well he i mean for years now he's been bringing his chain back which which looks cool obviously i mean he was a part of a dynasty but now snoop has been wearing the merchandise he's been wearing death row jackets he's been wearing death row hats uh snoop is somebody that does things i mean he we he sometimes can get lost in the sauce as hip-hop's greatest businessmen or, or or just business minds snoop doesn't do something unless it really makes him move and i per I, I picture he's got a stake in this. Um, and I think that would be great because one of the things that Death Row has always tried to do, they have vaults, you know, and they want to use those. And I mean, you and I speak a lot about legacy artists, but, you know, I would love to hear some of the stuff that Dre produced that never got out there, some of the stuff that Lady of Rage did, so on and so forth. And Snoop has the ability to get that in the right people's hands in a way when other maybe suits own the company, that wasn't the case. So. I was reading the comments and there were a couple things that kept coming up and I want, want to get your thoughts on this. So one was that um, Snoop has now got this like uh, creative consultant role at Def Jam. So how does it, so, you know, given that he has that, how could he be involved with death row? That's one question. Second is uh, was about ownership of death row. And the last I recall is that it, it's, it's owned by the company that owns Hasbro, uh, the toy toy company. I can't, it's, it's changed hands a few times. I know E1 yeah. had it for a while. Are they the current owner or, you know, so that's the other question. Like, um, do you think he purchased it or, or do you think he is, you know, coming in as like a consultant? So, you know, what's your, what are your thoughts on those two things? My imagination, knowing Stoops business and how much this means to him. I mean, he was the first homegrown star on death row. And, and really, I mean, the only one of that magnitude, Dre had come from NWA, you know, Pac had built his own career. 
Um, and, and Snoop is on his own level as compared to the dog pound or rage and stuff like that. I think that Snoop would probably do an equity deal of like, Hey, um, the, the company that, uh, that owns it, I think is, is BlackRock now, which might be a parent company to Hasbro. And, you know, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to somebody about that who knows a little bit more of their history. I mean, they come into companies and try to find the value in them. And death row has been this asset that continues to train, change hands. I mean, I don't know about you, but I see a lot of kids wearing that, the t-shirts and the hoodies and stuff like that. So they make merchandise money and they obviously make some catalog money. Dre got his stuff back, but how can you really make this a profitable asset? And I think one of the smartest things they can do is give Snoop a percentage of the company to do just that. And I don't, I imagine Snoop's business is savvy enough um, where, you know, Def Jam shouldn't care about that. And, and I reread the GQ article, Snoop is interim. I mean, Def Jam doesn't have a CEO like they did when it was Paul Rosenberg or when it was Jay-Z, um, you know, president, or even Leor Cohen and Kevin Lyles. Def Jam is, is kind of like, you know, the Las Vegas Raiders. They have an interim coach and they do pretty well. But well, they, think- they, they, they do have a president now. They named a uh, uh, president maybe five months ago, Tunji. Okay. From uh, I forget his Tunji. Oh, Balcon? Uh, yeah. From from RCA, yeah, his former formerly at RCA. He's like the president of Def Jam now. Yep. Okay. That's that's what's up. Wow. He uh he used to rap on Cunning Linguist records for people that you know your real underground hip hop heads. But as Def Jam kind of recalibrates, Snoop is there as an interim. I don't see as an interference there, but I do think it makes sense. And you know, you you're much more business savvy than I am. What about you? Does that seem unreasonable? No, I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, for all the reasons you stated, like he is, you know, short of Dre and, and Tupac, he is by far the most iconic artist from Death Row. He's still active, um, you know, very uh, got a lot of business acumen. He's involved in a lot of different things. He has built himself into a tremendous brand. So, you know, what he could do to re-energize people's you know, excitement around the the catalog, I think would be fantastic. And if you put out new stuff and imagine like a new death row compilation with, you know, he, he's the guy who can get the dads and the corrupts and probably, you know, the rages and maybe even get Dre to contribute to it, too. I think I think it'd be incredible. It'd be incredible. Yeah. And I thought, too, I mean, you know, Dre is Dre was the co-owner and he walked away from it but dre has no reason to go back to death row it's a dark period of his life and he really built something incredible with aftermath and snoop not for nothing i mean snoop has a massive compound in la he has his hand in a number of things but on the record label tip doggy style records you know which snoop started when he was at death row really was kind of a home for former inmates to release projects and the east siders did well and, and doggy's angels and stuff but it never really caught on to the level of a Rockefeller or, you know, the like. Um, so this hundred percent makes sense. And, and yo, I'm, I'm there to see it. I, I'll be, here's, here's, here's my, here's my prediction though. Um, Snoop will be death road out when he hits the uh, halftime stage in terms of his mm. attire. Word. That'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. Um, uh, I'd be even sicker if, if Dre like bought it and uh, you know, Snoop was being signed by, by Dre to death row, but we'll, we'll see. It's going to be interesting. I, I, I think there's going to be a ton of major announcements coming out of this Super Bowl halftime. Uh, it, they would all, they, they should all definitely drop projects because it's going to be the bis- biggest exposure they've ever had. Um, you know, it's the biggest stage hip hop's ever had. I mean, Super Bowl is, 
watched by over 100 million people just in this country, you know, probably 200, 300 million people around the world. It's, it's, it's gigantic. So can't wait. Uh, but what, what else, what else you got on the new music front? Yeah, I just, a couple of albums on the radar as we, as 2022 sizes up, you know, um, the cool kids, which isn't, you know, a duo we talk about too often. They have an album called coming up called before shit got weird, March 3rd. This is what grabbed my attention. You know, the features JID, Chance the Rapper, Pac Div, Larry June. You know, the cool kids have never gotten their props, um, you know, in terms of an album for all of the pioneering that they did in the quote unquote blog era. I mean, so much of the style, the slang, the aesthetic that carried into the early 20 teens, these guys, you know, Chuck English um, and Mikey Rocks were responsible for. So I hope they get some of those props on that one. Um, Cormega has The Realness 2 coming out. It has some heavy hitters. I'm, he recently said Nas is on the album. So for you and I that love Full Circle so much with the Firm Reunion, um, you know, I'm really excited about this. Uh, Mega, you know, hit me yesterday. He wanted to play some of the album over the phone. I can't wait to hear it, but uh, be on the look for that. Um, you know, Big Crit, who we just talked about, has an album done. Um, and that one is coming uh, very soon. It's called Digital Roses Don't Die, February 18th. He gave, already gave fans a little bit of a teaser with a song called So Cool. Um, this one, as I talk about Detroit and Dilla, Cypress Hill has a joint called Back in Black, March 18th. It's produced entirely by Black Milk. Hmm. We had reported that on the site years ago when this was in the making. But, um, you know, they've already dropped some singles. But how crazy is that? Be Real and Send Dog with Black Milk. That's dope, man. I, I've always been a huge fan of Black Milk. And he's been pretty quiet over the last couple of years, um, unless I just miss some projects. But I'd say like 2014, 2015, he had some he had some um he had a project that was like definitely on my album of the year list um uh um laugh now cry later was was the song um that was incredible um, fever yeah say again it's called fever i believe fever yeah um I, I can't wait for uh to hear that you know uh cuz i think for cypress they can be hit or miss for me on the beats but, you know, what Black Milk will bring, I think, will be an incredible pairing for them. So can't wait for that one. Yeah, it's interesting. And I mean, obviously, like Be Real and Muggs, are, you still see them together on Instagram. I think it's just Be Real and Sendog trying something new as Muggs has worked with a host of MCs right now. But um, they did put out a joint called Bye Bye with Dizzy Wright. They've, they're three singles down. Check that out. And then um, just two more quick ones. As we talk about Benny Conway's God Don't Make Mistakes is going to be February 25th. Um, that album is the Shady album that we've been talking about. So, you know, the Griselda did their joint um, with Shady back in 2019. Uh, what would Sheen Gun do? Um, West Side Gun put his out in 2020. Uh, the joint with Slick Rick on it. Um, Son, what was the title? Do you remember? Um, no, I can't remember. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. But this is this is God don't make mistakes. And, you know, it'll be a huge look for Benny. I think you and I have both had a chance to hear some of the iterations of that could be a totally different album, but if it's anything close to what I heard, look out. Um, and then also on the Griselda front, this is interesting to me, uh, Stove God Cooks, you know, one of these MCs that has popped up in recent years through Rock Marciano, through working with Griselda, he's a guest on Two Chains album, which drops this week which is called Dope Don't Sell Itself. That one is through Def Jam. Um, also on there, Roddy Rich, Little Baby, Moneybag Yo, my man B-King. 
but uh, I love to see an artist that's coming up through the underground get on the get on the two chains wave. So be on the look for that. Yeah, I wonder if two chains had a conversation with DJ Quick before naming his album that. <laughs> they don't that's sell dope. drugs it sells itself so yeah. very well played uh, yeah yeah uh well uh you know january is always a slow month part of the reason why we have been kind of spotty with our podcast we only want to do it when there's really stuff we're talking about um but it is heated up in a major way with that benny j cole collab and sounds like there's a lot of great stuff coming up so i'm excited I'm excited. Most definitely, man. Just over the last week or so, a week or two, has there been any new music that's really stuck to your ribs? Uh, I mean, the Benny, man, that that's it. Um, that That's really it. Let me just pull up my, um, you know, I keep it all in. in um, my you put a really dope point on the playlist that I really like, too, by by King. I hope I'm saying this right. King Iso, he's down with Strange Music. Um, and it's a joint called Self-Destruct with Ritz and Twista. So you got three right. choppers on there. And, and ISO produced the joint too. His album is called Get Well Soon. And if you like Eminem of recent years, you like Token, you like um, Joyner Lucas, this album's 100% up your alley. Yeah, I'll tell you what I've really been listening to, man. And this isn't out yet, but we got an advanced copy of Fly Anakin's album. Um, and that album is dope. I think it's, oh, it's Frank. Yeah, it's called Frank, and it's coming out in March. Uh, but it's it's one of my favorite projects uh, so far this year and it's this short year, but it's real soulful. Uh, folks might know him from features uh, with evidence, uh, but he's got a really distinctive voice and, and rap style. And, you know, the, the production is, is just super on point. So can't wait to hear that. Uh, yeah. Can't wait for others to hear that, I should say. Yeah, exactly. And we have a joint named Sean Price on our playlist, which is great. That one's coming out on Lex Records, which is the same label that gave us Gnarls Barkley and a host of Danger Doom, all that stuff. Uh, just two quick others as we as we part out. Shay Noir, Food for Thought. Um, you know, she's out of Niagara Falls, the kind of greater Buffalo area. And she did a joint with Black Thought a few years ago um, that absolutely blew my mind. Her album with Apollo Brown made our best of list for 2020. Um, she produced a lot of this album. So you come go, go from working with Apollo to showing, you know, you're flexing on your own. And I've enjoyed that. It features 38 Special, Ransom, and Rome Streets. Um, and also um, AZ, you know, we had a great podcast with him in 2021, one of our guests. He put out a deluxe edition of Do or Die 2 with four new joints on there, one with two chains. Um, and of the four new ones, you know, AZ has a great ear for beats. Two of them are produced by Static Selecta. One by Bink, who people know through Jay-Z's Blueprint. And one, as we talk about Death Row, is produced by Butta, which is from my hometown of Pittsburgh. And he did some crazy joints with Dre and Razkaz and Westside Connection. And he did a joint in there called Stay Fly, which um, is kind of an homage to Run DMC, which I quite enjoy. Oh, dope. And Makami dropped a new project, too, called Dollar Menu. Haven't listened to that yet. It's short, only seven songs. Um, he's got his seventh song is called Nardwar. So that's going to be interesting. It's only 21 minutes. So definitely going to check that out. Have you heard it yet? Yeah, I have. I have. And from yeah. that same camp, um, the God Fahim and your old Drew dropped a Wolf of Wall Street 2, which I played another like seven songs, real short, easy listening. The mock is dope, man. I mean, we talk about consistency. That is his third project in less than a year by my count. There might even be a fourth. Um, but yeah, January, you know, different kind of month, 
but I think the gods gave us more than usual this this month. Word. All right. So that being said, what what's your song of the week? And I think we got the same one, Johnny P's Caddy. Yeah, no question, man. No question. Uh, yeah. So always a pleasure. Likewise. And uh, until the next time. Absolutely. And hey, last thing, if, if you're listening, please give us a rating on on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Every little bit helps. We want to spread the word and, and share the gospel. So thank you all. Word. Peace. Peace.